what is it, life, the galaxy, and the universe? I'm getting that wrong. Life, meaning, and the universe. And so they ask the computer the question, and the computer comes back and says, basically, I'm going to need some time to process this. Come back in 100 years. And so they do, they go away and they come back and ever, there's all these people and they're so excited to finally hear the answer to life and, the, and, and life what? Life and the meaning, meaning in the universe. And what is the answer to life's biggest question? And the computer, they're, on, they're there on, on bated breath. And the computer says, the answer is 42. And they're like, What? That's the answer, it's 42. So in case you didn't know, it's 42. And basically the point is that there is no point to the universe. The point the movie's making is that there is no point to the world. This week, uh, Ryan and I uh, heard this glorious news that Chick-fil-A's got mac and cheese. Yeah. And so, and so we, were, we, were, uh, we went to Chick-fil-A to test out and sample this new mac and cheese. And we were sitting outside and we were eating and... There was these four, I think they were probably high school students, sitting there next to us. Uh, and after about five minutes, I realized me and Ryan both were not talking to each other because we were both eavesdropping on this conversation. <laughs> and so I looked at him and I went, are you listening to this? He went, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, we're, so just know people might be listening to you in public. Uh, and so we're there and we're, we're listening to these teenagers and, and, they're, and they're talking about religion. And so obviously we're interested. And um, like, you know, at one point they're talking about, yeah, you know, the Bible talks about stoning women when they bleed. And, and we're like, what? <laughs> and, and then they're like, this one guy's like, you know, Buddhism's really interesting to me. You know, like, I just, I don't know, I'm really interested in that. And, and, and they're talking about, and we can, we're, we're barely making out. We're like, talk louder. And so we're listening, we're listening. And, and the, the thing that I really was taking from this conversation was the levity like how they're talking about, like they're wading into deep waters, big questions of life, meaning, in the universe. Like, who are we? Where did we come from? Who is God? What should I do? What is truth? And they're just, for them, it was almost more like a riddle to be solved than the answer to life, galaxy, and meaning of the universe, which is not 42. But it, had, it was just so flippant. And, and you know, as I, as I think about our culture, our culture actually, ironically, loves belief. Our culture actually loves belief. They don't care what you believe in, but that you believe in something matters. We, in some ways, we have a belief in belief. I think no one has probably pushed this idea more in the past 20 years than Oprah Winfrey. If you watch Oprah's show, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. But Oprah... Recently, not recently, but at one point had this atheist on her show. You know, atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God or anything like that. And the atheist, uh, you, know, you know, so they're talking about that and she's an atheist, whatever. And then at one point in the conversation, the atheist says that when she, at one point in her life, she was standing on the edge of the ocean looking out at the sunset and the waves and the sound. And she said, you know, it, I was just such an awe and wonder at the mystery of this beautiful painting as I looked at the ocean. And Oprah said to her, well then, I don't think you are an atheist. I don't think you're an atheist because of that wonder and that mystery and that awe, that is God to you. She said, God is not this bearded guy in the sky, and I'm offended because what's wrong with beards? But 
besides that. She said, God is not a bearded guy in the sky. God is whatever you want him to be. For some, for Oprah, for the culture, God might be the universe. God is beauty. God is love. For others, God is a belief in existential humanism or Platonic dualism or the Aristotelian view against the anthropomorphizing of the divine or some weird thing like that. I had to write that down because that was hard to say. Sometimes people have overly complicated philosophical systems. Sometimes they look at love and beauty. But Oprah would say, whatever it is for you that you're into, that is your God. The question this morning, the question John particularly is going to answer is, can we particularly know God? Can we know precisely who he is? Can God be something different for me than he is for you? You see, John is writing this book so that we would believe in something particular. Believe in what is the truth. John is not concerned that you would simply believe. He is concerned in the object of your belief and that it is right. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that believing in him, you may have life. So let's look at our text this morning and see what the word of God would tell us. John chapter one, verse one. John writes as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. This passage opens up with words that should be striking to us and very familiar to us. It says, in the beginning. And when you read those three words, if you've thought about it, if you've read much of the Bible or know much of the Bible, you know that those are the same three words that are used in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, where God created the world. And so in Genesis 1, you'd read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But here, we see John picking up that same language, but it's almost like he is saying, hey, you've seen this part of the story, but I want you to see the story fuller. I want you to see what else has been going on there that you may not have noticed before. And so he's widening our understanding of God and of the beginning of the world. He's growing our understanding of that particular scene. So John says, in the beginning... But instead of saying, in the beginning, God created, instead, he says, in the beginning was the word. As you continue to read this chapter, it becomes quite obvious that when John says the word word, he is talking about Jesus. And so he is saying that in the beginning was Jesus. See, the first thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus was not created. Some people might say, but Brent, Jesus was born 2,000 some years ago in a manger on Christmas morning in Bethlehem. Yes, this is, this is weird. Jesus was born, yes, but he was not created. Yes, Jesus entered history. Yes, Jesus became human. Yes, Jesus was born, but Jesus was never created. Jesus has existed for eternity before the world was ever created. Think about that. It kind of hurts your head for a minute, but think about this. Before the world was made, eternity backward, Jesus has existed. There has never been a beginning for him. There was never a start.
start moment. He has always been. When we think about eternity, sometimes your head just begins to you know, vibrate out of control. But this is the case for Jesus. There's never been a moment in which he did not exist. He is eternal. And so the text says, in the beginning was the word. And so John wants you to know that from the very beginning, Jesus was there. He didn't just come on the scene recently. He was there from the very beginning. And, the word, and then he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Uh, my wife and I have been married for eight years. I just found out. I had to ask her because um, I thought it was seven. But, you know, they've just gone so fast that, you know, it's hard to keep track because it's been such b- marital bliss. Making up for bad things, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, we, were, I took Kate out for her birthday, and we, and what she wanted to do for her birthday was go shop for yarn, you know, because that's her thing. And so we, we were doing that, and on our drive, because we had to drive forty five minutes to the the right yarn store, so we, we got to talk on our drive, and um, we were talking about how different we are from one another. Like I love sports, she doesn't love sports, you know. All, we're kind of very different in a lot of ways. Um, and so, but the interesting thing is that over the past eight years of our marriage, we like know each other pretty well, right? Like, like when she makes a certain face or when she has, says something with a certain inflection, like I know something's wrong, right? And, and maybe in your marriages, you know the same thing. Like, like, you know your spouse so well, and we have only known each other for eight years. Not that any man could really understand a woman, but as much as one can. We're getting there. When the text says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, Jesus has spent an eternity with God. Already, he has spent an eternity with God in a perfect, intimate relationship with him. There is no one more equipped to tell us who God is, what he is like, what he is about, than Jesus. Jesus is eternal, and Jesus has always been with God. But then John takes it a step further. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we may have different reactions to this, but if you ever, like, see, you know, sometimes uh, someone yesterday knocked on our door, and we were like, we could tell it was like someone with a clipboard, and we're like, pretend like we're not here, pretend like we're not here. So sometimes, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses will come to your door, the Mormons, and, 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 and you know, you're hiding, right? You're like, I don't know, right? And so, uh, but for me, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, I'll, y'all come on in. How are y'all? Y'all sit there. Yes, we want to hear all about it. Tell us. They have no idea what they just walked into. <laughs> and so uh, when I see them walking up, I'm like, Kate, go deal with the kids. I need an hour. <laughs> I get giddy. But if, if a Jehovah's Witness ever comes to your house, I want you to do this. I want you to let him in. I want you to say, hey, I'm just so curious. Would you turn your Bible to John chapter 1, verse 1, and have them read it to you? And then you grab your Bible, pull it out, and read yours back to them. There will be one word difference. One word that is different. And one, one letter word that is different. You see, as we read our Bible, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in their Bible, it would say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And on one letter hangs a completely different understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. 
and it changes literally everything. And so the question is, how do we understand this? Was the word God or was he simply a God? See, they would tell you that Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is really important. He's the highest angel or the highest being below God. He's the biggest, biggest deal next to God, but he's not God is what they would tell you. But when I look at this text, it's not what I see. When we look at the original language, when you look in the Greek, it actually reads like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and God was the word. And so the Greek tells us that Jesus, the word, is God. And there's no qualifying statement to that. It's not to say, oh, Jesus is God, but he's like a little less. Or Jesus is God, but he's a little different. No, no. Jesus is God, period. The end. He is God, very God. Scarlett, who is my second daughter, who is three years old, almost four years old, who is sassy as sassy can be, was in the car the other day, and I don't have no idea what she was talking about, but I just heard her say something about Jesus and God. And it was hilarious because my wife then began to try to explain to her the hyperstatic union of the Trinity to my three-year-old. And she's like, well, honey, God, Jesus is God. She's like, I know, God and Jesus. She's like, no. And so, so that was hilarious. But I was laughing <laughs> and just shaking my head. But, you know, I hear adults say this all the time in conversation. They'll say, well, you know, you know, God and Jesus are doing this. But what they mean is the Father in Jesus because Jesus is God. Got him. Taking dominion. You can say the Father in Jesus, but you can't say God in Jesus because that's saying the same thing. Trinity lesson. Jesus is not the Father, but Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal, Jesus has always been with the Father, and Jesus is fully God. You know, people like to say to me, or you just hear them say, you know, know, when God, I heard church members say this one time, not here, praise the Lord, but, uh, you know, when God created Jesus, and I went, oh, no, he didn't do that. Jesus has always existed, and he is God. Another interesting thing about this verse is why did John say, In the beginning was the word. Why didn't he just say Jesus was in the beginning? Why did he use this word, word? Why does he do that? Well, in the Greek, the word word is the word logos. Logos. Spelled like logos. Logos in Greek philosophy was a big deal. When the Greeks or even the Hellenistic Jews who were the Greek-inspired, Greek-feeling Jews would have read this, they would have known exactly what the word logos meant. In Greek philosophy, it was a word that meant the immaterial intelligence. Logos meant that which can explain rational thinking, the laws of science, logic, the laws of mathematical structure. Reality itself was explained by this Greek philosophical idea of the logos. And so when John says in the beginning was the word, what he is telling them is the logos is real. Which they'd been cool with, but he's saying the logos is a person. Jesus is the answer behind everything. Jesus literally brings reason and understanding to the world. We laugh about how in Sunday school, Jesus is always the right answer. But in reality, Jesus is always the right answer to the deepest questions of the world. Jesus is the cipher that unlocks the mysteries of the world. 
See, when you understand who Jesus is, it's like you can finally see the whole picture of the world and it all makes sense. You all remember, you all remember those, like, those books that had those like, crazy images on them and you had to go cross-eyed to see the picture? And you're like, I don't see it. And you're like getting a headache from going cross-eyed so much. And then finally when you go cross-eyed just the right amount, you're like, oh, there it is. I got it. Right? And you, see, and you finally see it. And it's like going cross-eyed just the right amount is the, the cipher to see the picture. Jesus is the cipher to understanding the world. And when you understand who he is and how he's created the world, everything else makes sense. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason it makes sense when you understand Jesus, because Jesus, as verse 3 will say, is the creator of the world. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him. All things made through Jesus, the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the word of God. And so in Genesis 1-1, when God creates the world, how does the Bible say he does it? Through the Word of his mouth. God speaks and things exist. He spoke light. He spoke people. He spoke animals. He spoke there it was. Well, if Jesus is the word, then Jesus is the agent by which God is creating the world. Side note, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when you would read Isaiah, for example, and Isaiah says, this is the word of the Lord, da-da-da-da-da. It is Jesus who is speaking because he is the word. And so in Genesis 1, when God is creating, it is Jesus who is speaking creation into existence. Jesus is speaking it. It is God the Son who spoke and made light, who made earth and made you. It's also, I think, interesting to know when John writes this, he doesn't simply say, and the word made the world, and, and Jesus made the world, or Jesus made the universe, or some big idea like that. He doesn't say that. John goes into detail to make he says it positively and negatively, which is interesting, that Jesus created everything. So he says, all things are made through him, positive, not just the whole world, but everything. But then negatively, and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, why, 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 why say it that way? Why, why do that? It is to fight this idea of deism, that God creates the world and then steps back and just watches to see what would unfold. Like he would create the primordial ooze and then say, huh, I wonder what kind of life will come out of this. That's not what God did. God was in, in, intimately involved in the creation of every little bitty thing that he ever, that has ever existed. Jesus created specifically and purposely. He didn't create the universe and say, okay, I'm gonna let evolution just take its course and let's see what happened. He created the birds to reflect his glory. He created the water and the sun and the moon. He created deer and the grass. He created the morning dew on the ground to sparkle just the right way. He created the oceans and the waves, and he created the atoms and electrons and neutrons. He created the laws of gravity. He created the laws of physics. He meticulously crafted the world and made it beautiful and ordered. And he makes the crown jewel of all creation people in his image. You see, Jesus is the answer to the questions of the universe. The universe is not pointless. The answer is not 42. Jesus, who God has, who, who, Jesus, God has crafted it, has sustained it, and he's made the world with purpose. The universe is not random. The universe is not a mathematical equation. 
but we can know our purpose. We can know the one who made it all. And here's the fascinating thing. Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just create the world, even specifically, and then step back. No. He creates it, and then when he sees it broken, he comes to fix it. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and life was the light of men. See, from the moment sin entered the world, death comes with it. See, the whole world is on this trajectory of decay and death and corruption. I don't have to convince you of that. You open your eyes for a minute and you just see the brokenness all around you, in yourself and all around you. We all know it. We all see the destruction. We all see the death, the result of sin. Probably everyone in this room has been to a funeral. And there's always that moment in a funeral where uh, you get to walk forward and say your last goodbye to your loved one who's in the casket in their best suit and kind of weird makeup on. And and you go up there and, and you look at that person you love. And as you look at them and you're crying and trying to say goodbye, you, you can't, uh, you kind of can't help that there is this jarring moment that the person you're looking at, the person that you love and you care about so much laying there. There's this jarring moment that they look like the person I love. They, I, I can hold their hand, I can kiss their cheek, but it's jarring because no matter how much you try to suspend the belief, you look at them and there's something something wrong because you know they're not there. No matter how much you just want to squeeze them or kiss them or hold them or just be there, there's this part of you that knows, man, this is, this is just an empty shell. And it is missing the thing that made them them. Because death is the complete separation of the soul from the body. And that at death, there is no trace of that person and their soul left in that shell. But when the Bible speaks of death, it speaks more than of just that death. It speaks of an eternal second death. Because death is not merely the soul separated from the body. It is also the soul separated from God. And even people who would say that they don't believe in God right now, they, they, they want nothing to do with him, they are still connected to him and they still receive a level of grace and they don't know it and they don't acknowledge it, but God is in their life doing things and they don't acknowledge it or know it. The Bible's clear about that. But the second death, hell, is a complete separation from all that is good, from all that is right, and it is complete and utter darkness. And just as there is no connection of the soul to the body and death and the second death, there is no connection of the soul to God. So when John writes that Jesus is life, it is good news. It is good news. See, when you are in Christ, the curse of death has no claim on you. That the life of Christ becomes your life and not even death can take that away. In Christ, you have life now and forever. And no matter how much darkness you might have in your life, uh, now or in the past, no matter how much darkness, how much evil has been in your life, it is never too much for the light of Jesus to scatter it. In creation, 
Jesus spoke light into darkness. And what did the darkness do? It run away. It runs away from light. It flees. And do you know what happens when Jesus shines the light of the gospel into your heart? The darkness flees. Every ounce of darkness will flee. You might say to me, Brent, you do not know my past. You don't know my present. You don't know the thoughts in my head. You don't know the things I've done. You may don't know, and you're right, I don't know those things. I don't know what you've done in secret, but Jesus does. And when light hits darkness, darkness flees every time. Verse five says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, there was a moment There was a moment in the life of Jesus when he became a man and he lived amongst us where the powers of darkness pulled every trick out of the book, where the powers and forces of darkness did everything that they could to defeat him. They did every trick, everything that they could, and they convinced the world that Jesus was the bad guy and deserved to be put to death. And so they did just that. They beat him, they killed him, they put him to death. And for three days, the demons cheered and celebrated and said, we did the impossible. We defeated God. We've, We've quenched the light. We've put out the light and darkness will reign forever. And they thought that they had won. But verse five tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it because as you and I know, that on the third day, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away and the light was still shining. And no matter how much darkness comes into this world through the curse of sin, there is not too much darkness for the light of Christ to make it fully. And it doesn't matter how much darkness is in your life. The light of Christ will cast it out. Death and hell and darkness run and hide at the light of Christ. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus meets demons because what do the demons do when they see Jesus? They say, have you come to destroy us before the appointed time? (laughs) Like, you're here early. What are you doing? They freak out. There was a couple who took a trip to England because they wanted to see and visit some historical sites in England. And one of the places they went to was this old castle. And they go and they're all excited to see this old castle. And they have a tour guide and the tour guide leads them in and he's showing them all around. And the guy come in and laughs. He goes and he tries to shut the door to the castle. And the, the tour guide says, hey, no, you, you should probably leave that door open. Okay, okay, whatever, sure. And he leaves the door open and they begin to look around. And, and it's really dark in the castle and and they begin to realize and look and see that all of the windows in the castle are either uh, concreted over or that they're boarded up. And all the windows are closed up and it's not letting hardly any light through. And, and then they ask, why are all the windows boarded up? Man, we can't see anything. And the guy tells them that in 1696, England gave a window tax. And for every window you had in your house, you were taxed so much per window. Well, ain't nobody wanted to do that. So they just boarded up the windows and kept all the light out. You might say, how could anyone live like that? How could anyone live in such darkness, not be able to see in your own house? But people live in darkness every single day. They choose to live in the darkness. They choose to live under the curse of sin. They're stuck and trapped and in habits and things that are just tearing them apart, and they choose to live in darkness. But you don't have to. 
Because even in that castle, those windows were boarded up. There are cracks between the boards, and the light was coming through the boards. The light, the darkness can't stop the light. It's coming through, and all you got to do is rip the board off the wall and let the light of Christ in, and he will change your world. Light is breaking in all around you. The God who created the world is the same God who came to give his life for you. The same God who knew all the darkness in you and still came to give you his life and light. He wants to be in every room of your life and every crack and every corner and every cranny. He wants to be in the pantry. He wants to be in the basement, in the attic. He wants to be everywhere. And he wants you to rip the boards off and let him in so that he can change every part of your world. See, the truth matters. What we believe in matters. The object, belief itself doesn't do anything. But what you believe in particularly can change everything. You see, we can know the Lagos. We can know the one who makes sense of the world. The one who has had no beginning. The one who knows God and the one who is God. You can know him just like he knew the Father. Because in Christ is life and light. But apart from him is only darkness. And the question is, how will you live? Will you board up your windows or will you tear them down and let Christ in? This morning, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. And this Lord's Supper, there's nothing magical about it, but it is a reminder of the price that Jesus had to pay to give you his light and to give you his life that he had to die in order to do it. This morning, if you are in Christ, No matter how much darkness you fight, this meal is for you as a reminder that you are his. And he paid the price and you don't have to pay anything. So we're going to pass this out in a minute and we're going to all take it together. So just wait, hold it, we're going to take it together. But if you do not belong to Christ this morning, if you are in darkness and Christ is not yours, this meal is not for you. Instead, Come to Christ. Come to him. Come talk to me. Come talk to someone you love. Say, I need the mercy of Jesus to let the light in and take the darkness away. Come do that. Parents, we have kids in here. Those kids have not been baptized into Christ. This meal is not for them. Instead, use this as an opportunity to teach them about the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that, you would, that your body was broken and that your blood was poured out so that we could have your life and have the light break the darkness in our hearts. God, this morning, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, who doesn't have that light, Lord, would you help them to come run to you and throw themselves on your mercy that you might change them from the inside out. God, we love you. We thank you. We need you this morning. God, as as people take this meal this morning, this gospel feast, God, we pray that they would take in grace, take in forgiveness, and be reminded that no matter how much darkness is in them, that light will always win because Jesus is stronger than any of the darkness in our life, and the darkness will flee before him. God, we love you. We thank you. Be with us now in Jesus' name we pray. All those people said.